Mesta organized vote on Parshas Mikaitz. A vote from Rebbeinim of Pshischa. Vayem apale lavuda v'nemtze kazeh ish asherich lekim boy. There was some amazement about Yetzel HaTzadik. Wow, Ish Ashriyach Lekim Boy. And the Rabbinim explains this, this refers to the fact that Yetzel HaTzadik was Me'ir Banabrius. He was Mesalsal Basaroi. He, was, he wasn't sitting in Basmadish and learning. He was, he was directly somebody who was out there. And that was actually what brought him to certain Nasyonis and problems. In the meantime, yeah, Riyach Lekim Boy. It's, it's amazing to see somebody who's so down to earth, let's call it, and still have that Riyach Lekim Boy. However, we find that by the Maisa of Aishas Patifar, when Yasef Sadek had his big Nesoyim, and he came home, he was there, so Rashi explains that What was that? The Yanka Vavini wasn't so down to earth and with it. He wasn't so, uh, you know, out in the streets. He was more Ishtam Yeshev Aholim. He was sitting in Basmedesh, and he was avoiding a lot of these Nesoyimists. Yanka Vavini wasn't showing that Gevira, that strength that Yasef Sadek had, he was avoiding a lot of the problems. He didn't have, you know, that, that koyach to be the, the ish asherich lekem boy, so to speak. And, and the, the taich of nirle dimizdik neshalovav, like the Gemurah brings, royani is divre admoin, sagefeltmer. Now, it, it appeals to me. Royani, I'm realizing the, the chshivas of it. Yes, when he fell into that bigness and he realized how difficult this is, you know, to be to, to be living the life the way he was living it and then still overcome all the challenges. That's very difficult. Nidaloi, now he realized, now it made sense to him that the Mizdik that his father was really doing things the right way. Sitting in Mismedish and avoiding difficulty. And maybe that's the way to go. Now, obviously there's there's a lot of things in life that if you could take on take on a challenge head on and you could overcome a challenge um, that comes your way, it's amazing. Somebody who knows how to really overcome difficulty or deal with a difficult situation and, and solve it and resolve it, it's wonderful. But sometimes, the best the best way to do such a thing is to avoid it. I mentioned recently, in the name of Rabbi Victor Mille, whenever people ask him about carrying ammunition, and self-defense and these kind of things, he would always say some old Chinese saying about uh, the, the winner is the one that avoids the fight. You know, you could think you're amazing, you could think you're ready to take on you know some, some enemy or some challenge or whatever it is. In the meantime, that person may be stronger than you. It's not worth it. You'll be a lot better off if you're just avoiding the problem. So sometimes people look at it like, you know, avoiding a problem, that's a coward. You don't want to avoid anything in life. I want to say what I have to say. I want to be upfront. Well, sometimes yes and sometimes no. And the reason why I'm saying this is because often when it comes in relationships, um, you have to know how to pick your battles. Now, I don't like using the word picky battles because it sounds like you're battling someone. But the point is to know when to address something and when to leave it. When to try to resolve something and when to just avoid it. Sometimes people have this thing about, oh, I'm going to walk on eggshells, I'm not going to address the elephant in the corner. Well, you have to know when. If you could take on the elephant and you could resolve the elephant, that's fine. Sometimes addressing something or putting something out on the table and making too big an issue of it is, is counterproductive and the person who you're dealing with is not yet ready for that and you're just opening a can of worms. Now, I know it's not always easy to figure out when and what, when you should bring something up and when you should avoid it, when it's easier if it's discussed and when you really could solve something and when you can't. But it's just food for thought. There are times that going the Yankovino way of just avoiding things is better than trying to take take it on, you know, up front. So just to me drop clear before I go into the question, what I mean to say is that sometimes your spouse or your child is dealing with an issue that until they're ready to address it, sometimes it's better not to address it. Sometimes until they're ready to deal with it or resolve it or take care of it or find a solution, the fact that you're bringing it up and putting it on someone's face, 
um, in the name of and with the with the good intention of trying to help that person might not always be the right way to go. So I hope that clarified my, my point. So let me read a question and and try to discuss a topic that might be helpful for others as well. Thank you so much for your speeches. They are so full of MS and lead to such clear and healthy ways of thinking. Okay, thank you so much. I married for X amount of years and we have a beautiful marriage. I couldn't have asked for a better husband, Baruch Hashem. I didn't get married right away and davened my heart out to get a good husband being that my parents didn't have such a good marriage, to put it mildly. My question is, how do I not dissociate from my husband when he, when he loses control of himself? For example, somebody else triggered him regarding a certain matter um, recently and he couldn't stop screaming about the situation. He wasn't screaming at me, but it was still very frightening. This has never happened before, but I was always worried about this because I grew up with such a father. My parents would sometimes lose control of themselves when they were angry and do traumatizing things to the children. Therefore, I am extremely shaken. When I was growing up, I would just dissociate from that parent for a few days until I got back to myself. I know it's not the best way, but that was my method of coping. Also, how do I show that I accept him unconditionally, even with his flaws? When I calmly told him that it's not acceptable to scream like that because it's too traumatizing for me, and there are other ways to let out anger, he mentioned to me that I need to accept him as he is. I want our relationship to stay close and loving as it is now. My marriage is the most important thing in the world to me because of where I'm coming from. Thank you so much for everything. Okay, so there's a lot to address over here, and let me start with this. Um, you're right that your marriage is the most important thing to you because of where you're coming from. Marriage is uh, one of the most important things to everyone and should be. It's one of the most important things there are. Um, so regardless of where you're coming from, taking your marriage seriously is always the right thing to do, and I tell this to people all the time, and I keep on mentioning it. Don't stop investing in your marriage. Um, it's important. It's who you are. It's part of your responsibility in life. It's part of the basis and foundation of whatever you're going to accomplish you know, during your life. Um, just recently, I was talking to somebody who was involved uh, with a few, a few different couples that as the years went on, you know, were running into bigger and bigger problems. We did a few older couples, not, not, not in the first 10, 20 years after, after marriage, but older couples that were running into a lot of problems. And very often those problems don't just come about one day. There are things that were left unattended. There were things that weren't uh, taken care of properly. There were, it's people that weren't investing in a relationship. So over time, with the different challenges coming up in life, or different things that, uh, different distractions that go away in life, and things like that, you know, things things happen, and, and all of a sudden you don't know where you are anymore. So marriage is definitely something to take seriously. It doesn't have to be seen as a, a problem topic, or a therapy topic, or a counseling topic. Just the idea of investing in your marriage, in your shalom bias, in your spouse, in your home, it's, it's for everyone. It doesn't matter where you come from. You don't have to come from a traumatizing background to take that seriously. Um, so let me also... Okay, there's, there's a lot of different ways that I, I would go about discussing this question. So let me start with one. When you see old patterns, old patterns um, resurfacing, right? somebody who grew up, let, let's talk about the person who does say, I come from this background, that's why it's so traumatizing to me. I understand it. When you've seen old patterns, whether it's at home, or, or you notice someone else's, your siblings, marriage, or somebody else, or whatever it was, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's traumatizing. And very often people are just hoping and hoping this will never happen. All of a sudden they see it happening. But what happens sometimes is that what, what, just, what just came at you was something rel- relatively trivial or minor, but because you have your, 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 your trauma and your old experiences and your old uh, ideas and mindsets about this, it's very scary. I'll give you an example. Somebody who grew up, let's say, in poverty, or somebody who themselves went through a, 
uh, financial crisis and they were they were in debt and they were, you know and they had outstanding bills and they weren't able to, to help themselves and cover themselves and and Bukhshem, they come out of it three years later the first time they get a notice about a bill that wasn't paid that could be traumatic to them they can't handle it I can't handle the bill that's not paid I don't know what to do now most people they have a bill that that wasn't paid one bill whether a credit card bill or utility bill or whatever it is okay so a bill wasn't paid what's the big deal we'll pay next month we'll figure it out I don't money this month Hashem will help me out it hasn't happened in a few years. That, that a bill wasn't paid, so so a bill's not paid. But somebody who's been there and and could still relive the whatever it was that, that traumatic experience is definitely something that's um, you know that, that that could that could arouse very negative emotions and very scary feelings and thoughts about it. Now, what's important to realize is that sometimes it's all about how you feel and all about your experiences and all about the way you're seeing something. The reason why I'm saying this is because let, let's let's start with this: some screaming. Okay, I'm going to say something drastic now. I don't want to use it against me. That's not called screaming. Sometimes when somebody raises their voice or brings up something in a very tense and aggressive, even way, it's not terrible. It's like a lot of other things that it has to do with the frequency and duration and things like that. How often does it happen? How often does the husband lose, lose himself? Um, when he does, how long does it take till he calms down? When he does lose himself, who does he do it at? Is he screaming at people personally is he, or he's just venting? From what you're telling me, you married X amount of years and it never happened before. Oh, so for a few years he never lost himself? It's not like you're telling me he just got married two months ago and he's already losing himself. Whoa, that was fast. We're just past Sheyubruchas and I thought like this will go take longer till he feels so comfortable enough to lose himself. Now, I don't know. Either maybe the details aren't, aren't the way I'm reading them or the way you wrote them or whatever. I'm just pointing out that sometimes uh, it really makes a big difference uh, what the context is. If you're talking about somebody who does have anger issues, somebody who does lose himself often, and somebody who, when he loses himself, you can't talk any logic to him, and he'll always be right about it or whatever, that's that's one thing. When you're talking about somebody who rarely loses himself, and when he does, and he's screaming about a very tense situation, I have no idea what it was. It could be with something that really does take a person out of the kailam, you know. I, I say everyone could be taken out of their dishes. Some people more often and on smaller things. And some people only on huge things, but everybody could somewhere lose themselves. So if somebody is losing himself often on relatively trivial things, and he's losing himself in a way that's affecting other people directly and, and getting personal, and, and, and it's affecting... that That's one issue. Somebody who only loses himself very infrequently and only over really big things and still doesn't do it in a way that's damaging or or too challenging for other people specifically, it's, it's a very, very big different issue. Very big difference. And, and I don't know which one it is. And that's why I'm discussing this, so that people, not just for the questioner, to realize that they didn't write the question properly, it's for people to understand that you have to differentiate between these things. And if your parents, where you grew up, did lose themselves over small things and got very personal and very traumatizing and very everything else, and the person you're married to is doing it only over big things, very infrequently, etc., it's very important to be able to differentiate and see the difference. So that's, that's one thing that I really did want to uh, point out. On the other hand, if this is... Um, a, a bigger issue that really does need to be addressed, and somebody does have an anger issue that, that is a problem, and it's affecting the home and the marriage and everything else, then the fact that your husband is telling you to accept him unconditionally is not making so much sense anymore, because there's also an important point that people mix up a lot, often. Um, accept me unconditionally. I accept you unconditionally. It doesn't mean I'm okay if you hit me. What do you mean you have to accept me unconditionally? I do. Not accepting someone and not being okay with certain behaviors or accepting someone and still not being able to tolerate certain things that are done to you doesn't have to do with a lack of acceptance. I accept you for who you are. I understand that you might not be a perfect person. And, and that's a very important point. So let's let's talk more about that. I mean, you start off writing that you couldn't have asked for a better husband. 
um, which is probably true. And it's, it's a great perspective and probably a true perspective. You davened to have a good husband and you got one and you see that you got one. Remember it. Don't, not just when you're writing to me. Remember that you couldn't have asked for a better husband. See the good in your husband. Appreciate your husband. Uh, say it often. The security that you give a spouse when you remind them Whenever, whenever in the right moment or whenever the opportunity arises to tell someone, you know, I'm so happy I married you and you're so wonderful, I see all the good in you, it's, it's, it's very important. You might be dealing with somebody who has a very fragile ego and doesn't know that you really are happy that you married them. You might be dealing with somebody who only hears the critique and the criticism and the negativity when it, come, when it does come up and that's what you point out just because the other things go unnoticed. For whatever reason, it's important to both remember that you married a wonderful person, and to say it and let the other person know that that's how you feel. The fact that you married somebody with flaws, okay, before talking about acceptance, the fact that you married somebody with flaws, uh, we all did. I mean, I'm not going to talk about myself in public, but we all did. Everybody marries somebody with flaws. We all have flaws. It's up to us very often to either focus on the flaws and only see them, only see the black dot in the wall, or the few black dots, or the lot of black dots, or to see the rest of the picture and to notice, you know, whatever, whatever, Whatever there is that is good. It's, it's, it's just so important. And we have that choice. It's not always easy. Sometimes the flaws and the problems and the whatever it is, the shortcomings, are just so much more unnerving and they take so much more of our attention. And it's normal. But it's important for us to remember that, yeah, there's so much more to it. Somebody said a joke about the guy who, um, he, got, he got an extra $100 on his paycheck one week. And he didn't say anything. Okay, extra $100. Somebody made a mistake. It was extra $100 an envelope or something. And he didn't say anything. Okay? A week later, he gets an envelope and there's $100 too little in his envelope. Right away, he goes running to the boss. He says, hey, boss, there's $100 missing in the envelope. You know, what's his name? So the boss says, hey, last, last week when there was an extra $100 in the envelope, he didn't come and say anything. He said, last week, I understood it. You know, you can make a mistake once. Nobody's a malach, but twice to make a mistake. Very often, there's, there's, there's some depth to that joke. We, we often know the idea that nobody's a malach, but we choose when and where to address that, that idea and where to accept it. And sometimes, very often, it's, well, when it's about me, I have shortcomings, well, of course I have shortcomings. I'm not a malach, right? When somebody else has shortcomings, you know, this, this is really not okay. Now, again, it's easy to talk about and very hard to put into practice and be able to accept other people's flaws and still not be okay with our own flaws and try to perfect them and work on ourselves. But the point is that when you're married to somebody who's not a malach, um, and you know how to clarify, and you know how to emphasize the fact that you see the good in them, and you appreciate the good in them, and that you focus on the good in them, and that the parts that aren't so great are not what's taking over your attention. And even if you're going to address it in the right time, in the right place, in the right way, you're still going to make sure it doesn't sound like that's all you're noticing, that's the only thing that's coming up that's coming up in your mind. You know, that, that's very important. So it's important to make it noticeable that this is what you're seeing, and this is what you're feeling, and, and all that. And, and it's so basic, yet we need to be reminded that focusing on the good in someone else is one of the best things you could do for yourself and for that person. And if it's a person that you want to live with and be happy with, you definitely want to try to see all the good in them. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say you should take out a list and do like people say, write down 25 qualities and all the good things or whatever. It doesn't matter if you write it on a paper or not. It, it, it's, if you decide to notice it and care about it and thank Hashem for it and verbalize it, that's what counts. So that's, that, that's what I have to say about that. Now, I don't think any of that has to do with unconditional acceptance. Like I said, it, it doesn't mean that I'll be okay if you come home five hours late or you don't pay the bills in this house. I accept you. I understand that it's hard for you. And I'll accept you even if I know that you have this shortcoming, uh, which uh, a lack of organization. It doesn't mean that I'll be okay with having a turnoff notice from Con Edison every two weeks. It's very important to understand the difference and be able to explain the difference to somebody that I don't look down at you, I'm not upset at you. I don't resent you. 
this issue still bothers me. So that's just an idea about um, something unconditional. I don't think there's anything really unconditional in this world. I don't think anyone's okay with anything unconditionally. You, you, there's acceptance. We accept the fact that some things aren't the way we want, but we still try to deal with, with other things. So that's that. Now, let's go a little deeper into the actual question here. I think I was clear about the fact that I don't know what the situation is. I'm saying it again. I don't know if we're dealing with, with somebody who has minor, um, very minor issues, or very normal issues, let's call it, by getting angry once in a while and somebody else just getting traumatized, or we're dealing with somebody who really does have anger issues, anger management, or whatever else. So I'm just saying it again now before we go further into dealing with someone's anger. Um, if somebody does get angry, you're dealing with a spouse who gets angry often, and, and, and it's, it's, it's frightening. And I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll be honest, this question came in a few months ago, maybe over time it got worse. I don't know what you're dealing with now. Uh, one of the things that you want to remember when you're dealing with, with, with somebody's issue is that very often that person's issue has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean that it's fun to live with somebody who's angry or irritable or nervous or tense or anxious. It's just important to remember that something has nothing to do with you. And if you're dealing with somebody, if you're living with somebody who's suffering from anxiety or depression or OCD, um, very much of that issue has nothing to do with you, as disturbing as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as much as you daven that that person should be helped, it's not your issue. It's important to remember that. This person has anger issues. That's not my issue. And it isn't. And very often, um, there's so much that you could help out such a person without becoming affected by their issue. In other words, it doesn't have to be my issue for me to want to help you. It doesn't have to be my responsibility in order for me to care about you. It doesn't have to be affecting me directly in order for me to do what I could. There's something about understanding that this issue is yours, and now let me see what I can do about it. And very often when you're nice to someone, you give them a good feeling, and you show them you understand them, and you validate the fact that they're dealing with stress or a financial difficulty, whatever, beyond that, you don't have to get so involved. It doesn't mean you like it. It just means that you have to understand, okay, so this person has a difficulty. And that's, that's very important. And you could, you, 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 could, you could empathize, and you could show that you care, and you could, and you could say that you care, without, without becoming you know, all part of what's going on. So I, I think it's very important. So, and the reason why I'm saying this is because you used a few times the words dissociate. You mentioned, I don't know if it was the best way to deal with my parents, but it was my method of coping. With parents, could be, sometimes that's the way... Um, children may not have a better way to deal with things. My parents are going crazy now, let me just move to the side. It's unfortunate, but sometimes that's what you have to do. Sometimes. With a spouse, moving to the side could very often come across as being apathetic and not caring. And, and a spouse will often expect more from you. So to say, oh, you're angry now? Okay, I'm, just, I'm not noticing. Sometimes that, that, that's very hurtful. Why don't you care? You don't see that I'm going through a difficulty? You don't see somebody was supposed to pay me or, so, or you don't see that someone in the family shamed me or whatever it is, you don't, you don't care. So sometimes somebody say, well, I want to care, but then I become part of you and part of you and I can handle your reaction. It's very important to know how to compartmentalize. I care and I'll listen and I'll correct and I'm not going to get involved in the anger and I'm not going to be part of it and I'm not going to be okay with it and I'm not going to encourage it. You know, I'm just, I just know how to do my thing. I feel good that I gave you the attention and the, and the respect um, that your issue um, deserves. So you don't have to get emotionally involved and you don't have to uh, be apathetic and emotionally dissociate. I, I think there's a very clear balance. I also want to say another thing, and that's people that do have anger management issues, let's call it. Again, I, I don't like the terms, I don't like all the professional uh, ways of seeing it, but even somebody who does have major issues getting angry, you'll often notice that this person can get more angry at one person than the other. And I point it out to people all the time. The boss screams at work. The manager is, is going crazy. Does he scream at everyone? Yeah, think about it. Does he really scream at everyone the same way? 
when you think about it, you'll notice that even somebody who does have an issue controlling them, their temper or whatever it is, they'll often scream at one person more than the other. Why is that? It's something to think about. Sometimes it's because one person is, is, is irritating them more or aggravating them more or giving them back attitude, trying to calm them down or trying to fight them and point out where they're going wrong and that's what they can't handle. Whereas somebody else in a very confident and calm and understanding and gentle way knows how to just hear and not let anything you know, get taken out of context and, and, and escalate to the next level. The reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes instead of addressing your spouse's anger issue and talking about it and making him feel bad or unaccepted, you, you just have to know how to be there for him and reflect and remain with your confidence and show that you understand and you feel pretty confident that this has nothing to do with you and that you're not responsible for why he's angry. And very often he won't, he won't project his anger at you now. And this is even when he did originally project it at you and, and got angry that, about something you did. Instead of showing that you don't care or instead of trying to debate with him over if you were right or wrong about it, you say, oh, I understand you, thank you for pointing out to me, and you move on. Very often, that's what I mean to say is that you're not responsible to have somebody um, calm down. But very often, there's so much that you could do to have somebody, uh, to just make it easier for somebody to not, to not um, lose themselves completely. I, I, don't like try, I don't like making it sound like the other person is responsible for getting screamed at. But very often, there is so much about your reaction, which is called, uh, there's a term, the, the least reinforcing reaction. When somebody's tantruming, or when somebody's screaming, the least re- the, what's the least reinforcing reaction? What, what could you do that will the least reinforce this behavior? So with, sometimes with children, you ignore it, sometimes this, sometimes that, but whatever it is, th- th- there's often so much you could do if you want to, and you feel good helping somebody calm down, so it's important to know what you could do instead of just saying, listen, this guy's losing himself, this is crazy. Well, look at this. And very often you could point to somebody's craziness, and they really could be crazy and responsible, but there would have been much that you could have done differently that would have actually helped. And sometimes it's die to figure out what that is or what other people are doing correctly and why this is looking differently in in different places. Now, with all that said, there is a time and place where it does become your issue. When this is affecting you directly or your children directly, which, I don't know, it didn't sound like it was, actually. Uh, sometimes, well, I want this house to be a calm home, I can't handle screaming. Okay, so you want, you can't handle. But sometimes if nobody's screaming at you directly, or the kids, or controlling anyone, it, it might still be okay if somebody's venting, like I said before. If somebody is screaming at you, and there's verbal abuse, and, and whatever else going on, and it really isn't okay, that's where it's time to realize, one second, this is not his issue, this is my issue. And this is his, hers, it's all the same. Um, to be able to differentiate and understand where does it, where does it affect me directly and where not? And even when it does affect me directly, it's only the parts that are affecting me directly that I want to address. It's important to remember that as well. Sometimes people will say, well, well, he screams at me also, so now I'm going to send him for help for other things. Figure out what it is, and that's what you want to address. Um, and, and it's important to realize that you might be taking more things personally because of what, what your parents did and things like that. So that's why I'm saying it's very important to be able to take it apart and realize what yes and what not. Um, in the moment, when somebody is actually screaming or tense or, or tempering, it's not the time to say anything, regardless of how crazy what this person is saying is. Sometimes you have to walk away, sometimes you have to take... I'm not talking about um, crazy situations where you have to know how to protect yourself. I'm just talking about when you want to bring something up, it's always best not, to not bring it up in the moment when a person is emotionally worked up and they can't do anything about it. They can't even hear what you're saying. They can only get more aggravated. So if you could... You don't bring anything up at the moment. And if you have to, then sometimes bringing it up is not what's going to help. You have to come up with something more creative. Um, when you do bring it up, and when things are calm, that's when you want to bring it up with a lot of bumpers, like I say often. You want a lot of bumpers. I always start with the bumpers. The bumpers are, I understand, 
that you didn't mean to scream at me. I understand that you were tense about something. Maybe I would also be that angry if this happened to me. You want to give the bumpers of validation and make sure nobody thinks that you're uh, blaming them or criticizing them or, or assuming that they have bad intentions or they're bad people. Very important. If you don't do that, it gets personal. If you don't do that, it might sound like unacceptance. Now, again, I don't know why your husband got so defensive or why he felt that you're not accepting him with his flaws, etc., etc. But sometimes the way you say something is a message of unacceptance. I, listen, I'm really not okay with this. I, I, can't, I, I can't live with something, etc. There, there are ways to say it in a respectful way. There's so much good in you and I love being around you and I understand that this person took you, made you totally crazy today. And, and, and I'm not angry about it. I don't judge you. Oh, with all those messages in advance, you could then say, I'm really not okay with it. What, what can we do? Not just that, but especially in your situation, you could blame your past and you could say, listen, I grew up in a home, my parents screamed, not like you, no, much worse, much worse, but sometimes it just makes me a little, you know, it makes me, uh, I, can't, I can't handle it. So I have no problem, I don't think you do anything wrong, but what can we do about it? And if you say it the right way, in the right time, very calm, and not in a debate, and not where he answers, and then you answer, and you prove him wrong, you express yourself, he heard you, let, let it go. And then bring it up again if you have to. When things are said the right way, in the right time, in the right context, in the right tone, with the right messages, with the right before and after, not a half hour later, I'm still upset at you, no, we're good, and, you know, and all that, um, that's, that's definitely something that could work. Somebody mentioned to me something interesting once, He's actually a tenant um, by a neighbor who had issues, let's call it uh, tolerance issues or anger management issues, and was excited, you know, often screaming at his family and kids and wife and whatever. And he, based on his own traumas from the past, being screamed at and, and other things, he, he couldn't handle it. He would cringe every time he would hear screaming going on. It wasn't it wasn't because he felt bad for anyone upstairs or anything like that. He, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle listening to it. To a point where he would sometimes run out of the house when he would hear it, until one point he, he called his neighbor, and he said, listen, I don't know what's going on upstairs, I'm sure you don't mean anything, no, he said it in a nice way, I grew up in a house where they were screaming, I got so overtaken by this, I, I beg you to stop. And he added, if I'm getting so overtaken by this, I can only imagine what it's doing to people in your house. So again, I don't judge you, and it could be people that, you know, making you crazy, and, and making you uh, lose yourself, but I ask you to please, you know, try your best to, you know, to not scream. And, and, and it accomplished it accomplished. He doesn't mean it accomplished. The way, he, the way he said it, the way he worded it, and the way the message was given, he accomplished. So if you could say something very nice in the right time, make sure that make sure that the rest of the relationship is covered enough. Like I said, make sure it's clear that you're focusing on all the good points. Make sure it's clear that you do respect the person that you're um, that you're dealing with, and that and that you really do see the good in them, and that you really do accept them. You know, by the time the general uh, relationship solid and the structure is there and the perspective is good and the feelings are wonderful and even when you're saying something that's not so gishmak for someone to hear you know but they're hearing it in the right way said in the right time in the right place even if they, even if they don't like it when you say it very often it will accomplish something and let me just go back and remind you one more time because I'm afraid that you know, people always go away with the wrong uh, message sometimes it's normal sometimes when somebody screams once in a while it might be your lack of tolerance either due to trauma or whatever other issues you have and you don't even realize that, that maybe you scream even more I don't know just recently, I was talking to somebody who also he, he was getting he was mamish being harassed um, for once in a while, raising his voice or doing something, and, and he tells me again, the point is not if he's right or she's right or anyone's right. He said it, it's it's mamish laughable because I can raise my voice once a week, and and it's it, it becomes a whole a federal case. My wife is doing this every half hour. I don't know if she doesn't realize it or what this is. So my point is not to say who's right, and I'm just bringing out the point that very often it's not the way you see it. And there's more to it. And it's good to like really think about 
is it the way I see it? Is it not the way I see it? Is it something more? Is it something less? Like maybe it's, maybe it's not mom is such a big issue, and maybe that's why my husband feels that I'm not accepting with his flaws because they're so minor and I'm getting so stuck on them and I'm not noticing anything else and things like that. So I think that was just some food for thought, and I hope that with a proper understanding and proper acceptance of one another, and the and and things addressed the way they should be at the right time in the right place and the things that shouldn't be addressed like I started off with the vote about Yanka Vino knowing how to knowing how to avoid things sometimes maybe don't address things that aren't easy for somebody to deal with maybe sometimes it's best to wait for this person to themselves realize that they might need help over something and then it will be easier for them to help themselves or get the help they need etc so that's also something to think about you know and with the right understanding and feeling one for another we can live together and accept each other with the flaws Bahava Ahva Shalom Varayas